All right, everybody, welcome to Raise Your Voice podcast. I'm here talking to uh, one of my most favorite people, uh, uh, not just uh, pastoral, but as a friend. I've known her for quite a while. We've passed each other, but uh, it's good to see uh, where she's gone and what she's become and all the wonderful and great things. And I have none other than Mrs. Tassiana Nixon. What's going on? It's good to be here. I still remember the first time we met uh, at, uh, it was out in New York, in Mm -hmm. Harlem. That's right. I remember hearing you preach out there um, and being like, wow, that guy can dress cool and he can preach. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's cool. So two of the things that I I care about the most, my preaching and my dressing. So I'm glad (laughs) that you were able, you were able to get both of that. But yeah, that was back like, it had to be like 2008. It was. It was yeah. two thousand. I think it was like two thousand eight, because um, that was like the same year I came. To, I decided to come to Andrews. So mm-hmm. that was in actually two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine. I think that was when I came to Andrews. Yeah. So wow. It was because I was trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life, and um, there's only two things I ever wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I said I'm either going to be in pastoral ministry or I'm going to join the Marines and become an assassin. Those are like the two, those are the two options. Um, Cause I was like, I'm either going to serve God or I'm going to go completely opposite direction. And just... well, well, you know, you can, you can do both. You can serve God and still assassinate people like certain people. Certain. <laughs> right. I, I, for anybody listening, I'm just kidding. I'm not, yeah. not, I'm not serious, but, uh, but yeah. But you were very pivotal in that decision to follow the Lord's call on my life. Wow. You know, it's funny that you said that because there are times when I'm speaking and preaching and looking at, and I'm sure you've had this experience too. You're looking at the crowd and you're saying like, am I having any kind of impact? Like, is anybody listening? But to know that I had some sort of influence and impact on your decision and to see what you've become from what I've, the first time I passed you to where you are now, it is remarkable. You're doing great things. And so that's why I was like, I have to get Tassiana on this podcast because you're doing some pretty dope stuff. Thanks. Yeah. God's been really good. That's all yeah. I can say. Yeah. That's what's up. That's what's up. So before we jump into the topic, um, just uh, let the folks know a little bit about yourself, uh, what you're doing, where you are, uh, some of your interests or whatever you want to share. So currently, um, and this is also your fault, I'm at Andrews University again. (laughs) Um, You preached a sermon and uh, people were convicted, let us say. Uh And um, Andrews recognized they needed a vice president for diversity and inclusion. And that's Michael Nixon. So um, we ended up moving out here about two years ago. And I had the opportunity to, um, I was pastoring and... um, for about four and a half years in New Jersey and then had the opportunity to move here and be back in school. Um, and so right now I actually started in seminary and I just realized like, oh, this is not what God has for me in this season. Um, and so I've, I've been pursuing my master's in leadership um, in a concentration in creativity and innovation. And in that I'm focusing on rediscovering Yahweh as an Afrofuturist mm. um, along with culture care. So as I'm studying, I'm also working at Adventist learning um, communities and I work on developing content for pastors and their education and um, helping them to think outside of their box, not pertaining to, you know, the regular theological space 
you know, that they might just stay in, but actually looking at the culture of their communities and developing tools for those particular spaces. So I'm really thankful that what I'm learning is actually very, very pertinent to everyday leadership and ministry, um, mm-hmm. much more than I believe like the 1969 education that's being given um, at Andrews and you have to pay like 2019 money for it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for this space and, you know, not trying to knock the seminary, but I am really thankful that I'm learning in this space at Andrews in this season. So. No, I get it. I totally get it. And I appreciate what you're doing because like my, um, you know, my dissertation was about reversing miseducation. And one of the things that I talk about was uh, just being at Andrews and everything, everything that I know now I had to learn after I left Andrews. Mm-hmm. You know, so it wasn't a matter of me reading like they never and I'm, I'm I don't even know if I should fault them with this, but they never introduced me to like Howard Thurman or mm-hmm. to, you know, MLK's beloved community or black liberation theology. And it just kept it really boxed into just one one thought, one idea. And you go out and you, uh, you know, you preach that my battle was the fact that. I'm preaching that in a impoverished community and these people need more than that. So how was I able to speak to that? So um, I appreciate what you're doing. I think the culture needs it. The people need it. And not just African-Americans. I think everybody needs to um, see Jesus in their lens and from their perspective so that they can speak to people where it matters, where it matters most. And so which, um, which brings me to the topic that we're going to talk about that yeah. I think is going to be so hot. So I'm going to get the title right. And it is the perpetuation of a colonizing Christ, the influence of Eurocentric Christianity in the destruction of culture. Yeah. That's heavy. Um, yeah. yeah. How'd you get there? Like what, um, what led you to that? Well, um, I'm actually part of a group. It's um, something I started with some phenomenal female friends of mine. And mm-hmm. we're a group called um, Black Ideation. And we're just a group of ideators who come together from different spheres. And we talk about our passions. Um, and we come up with concepts and titles and, and things like that. So I one day was sitting with one of my, actually my favorite theologians. Um, her name is Danielle Bernard, and she's someone who also started in the seminary and, you know, went to school at WAU, you know, got her theology degree, but came here and realized, like, she belongs in community development. Like, her mm-hmm. study of Christ and his call has brought her to this space. And as we were talking, she and I began to kind of talk about this perpetuation of this of a God who colonizes and how Christianity in many ways has been co-opted um, to do the same. Like that's what Christianity does. And when you look at the, I don't want to say the inception, but when Christianity was brought to black folk in particular, as we say, like brought to mm-hmm. in slavery time, right? We see this perpetuation um, continuing. And as her and I talked, I was like, how do we, we're really good at focusing on the problem. You know, we write books on the problem, but it's very rare that we stop and we ideate and we actually start beginning to write books on solutions, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I remember her telling me, she was like, Tassie, this is your thing. Like this this is a space that I think God's calling you to inhabit and you need to do whatever you need to do 
to educate yourself accordingly because the perpetuation of a Christ who colonizes is not, it's not gospel. It's just not. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's like 81% of evangelical Christianity. And that's what 81% of people or 81 or 82% were okay with voting for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause yeah. that's Christianity that they adhere to. Yeah. Yeah. I, to- I so agree with you. It's like, um, you know, white Jesus has haunted the church for a long time. And um, one of the things that, that I feel that I've seen is that the image of white Jesus perpetuates or continues white supremacy. And as you said, co-opted scriptures into making people believe that white is right. Because if you have a white Jesus, then anything that's white on earth must be closer to or equivalent, which makes them more superior than to anything else that's out there. And Mm -hmm. so that's, that's some really, really heavy, um, heavy stuff. And I'm glad that you got there and you see it and you saw that. So what, what would you say, um, as you're doing your research, what might be some of the solutions that you're thinking of how do we stop the perpetuation? Like, where do we, how does it, how do you think in your opinion, we get to a place where we can reverse it? I think the key is recognizing that there's uh, that there's a problem within Christianity. I think that's key, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to realize there's a problem. And I think the biggest problem for us is that we sh- are struggling with our picture of God. And you brought it up, like this image of white Jesus. So this is just another white man, right? Who doesn't understand my struggle, who doesn't understand um, my culture, who doesn't appreciate my culture, mm-hmm. uh, and is going to try and change me into this person of perfection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when in realities, I know I'm not perfect, right? There's just all these things that are so different from the Jesus. So now I, I have a completely different picture mm-hmm. and image of who God is and who he longs to be. You know, one of um, my professors, I didn't say he's not one of my first, I consider him a professor, but he's actually a coworker who has his demon and we talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And this Steve, and he said to me, he said, you know, Tasi, Christ didn't come to speak to the marginalized. He came to shift the margins altogether. Mm. And that really stuck with me because for so long, I always thought like, oh, he just came to speak to. And it's like, no, he came to completely shift the space, completely shift the atmosphere and completely shift our picture of who he knew we'd end up seeing. Mm-hmm. No. And so I think the biggest thing for me is the challenge, um, challenging people's picture of God. Um, and, and I go through like an exercise. I'll say, you know, close your eyes. And I want you to um, imagine Jesus standing before you. Who do you, who, who do you see? What do you say? Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, it's a white person. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? It's like, oh, it's a white man. Yeah. And I remember I, I did this exercise with my sister. Um, actually, the person who introduced this to me was Ty Gibson. He did it and he had everyone open their eyes and he was like, surprise, he's actually a black man. And I mean, this is at Andrews and people like lost it. Right. No, not my Jesus. You know? Right. But my sister was there and I said, I said, like, what did you imagine? And she said, I don't know why, but like I pictured Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. I was like, I was like Ella Fitzgerald. And she was just also like, don't you remember? She was like, growing up, that's what daddy and mommy used to play. Like they'd always play that. And we would just, we'd listen to it and it calmed us when we couldn't go to sleep. Even in college, when I couldn't go to sleep, I put on some Ella 
and, and study and rest. I found rest in there. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I find rest in the father. And so I identify him with mm-hmm. that image. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow. So where we feel safest, whoever we felt safest with, you know, like that's who we begin to imagine. And it really caused me to shift. How do I, and ask myself, how do I see God? Mm-hmm. And, and if I see him in any other way that he is not, mm-hmm. then that's going to hinder how I speak about him, how I interact with him, mm-hmm. um, how I, how I tell others about him. It's going to shift everything. Yeah. So genuinely approaching our picture of Christ and um, challenging yeah. ourselves in that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what are like the effects of a colonizing Christ? Like, um, what have you seen um, in your experience or maybe personal, like, how has Christ, before you got to this place, how has Christ colonized you, this colonizing image? Like, what were you thinking or how do you see the church as you look at it from the outside and you observe it? Can you give me any like tangible examples of a colonized church by that Christ has colonized? Yeah. Um, so my dad was the first black pastor ever hired by Northern New England Conference. So my dad was like only black guy in New Hampshire for like a minute. He's a pioneer. Pioneer missionaries. Right. <laughs> so, um, I remember when he came back from the conference and, um, you know, he was planning a church in Derry, New Hampshire. And he said, yeah, they're really excited. They said this will be their first black church. And I remember thinking like, but there's no black people around here. Like, what do you mean there's me this first black church? My dad always jokes. He's like, I started preaching and tell white people started showing up, Mm -hmm. you know? But I remember there was a shift in New Hampshire and there was um, an influx of refugees from Sudan and the Congo and Rwanda. Mm -hmm. And as they came in, um, they were Christians, right? And as we began to talk about God, and I I noticed this amongst, I would say not any, but most immigrants, Jamie, like as a child of immigrants, I realized very quickly that the image of God is not a God who seeks to maintain my culture. Mm. and an understanding of the importance of the country that I'm from. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if my parents came to this country, and I saw even in my friends who were from other countries, like their parents came to this country, um, almost seeking to now like leave behind. And we still eat, we still eat our food, but when it mm-hmm. comes to our belief system, um, it, it doesn't include God. Like, I mean, it doesn't include our culture. God's included and he's first and he's foremost, but we have pictures of a white Jesus in our home. We, um, we believe that if we now dance at weddings that like, we're going to be condemned. We have all of these things that now come that allow this colonizing space to completely dissolve us of the beauty of our cultures and the spaces that I firmly believe we're still called to inhabit. Right. And you see it, uh, you know, even more for me as I kind of began to dig deeper in my ministry um, while I was pastoring, I saw it in Trenton, you know, I had, I had this one lady say like, well, you know, how is your Jesus relevant to me? She mm-hmm. was like, I can't eat, you know, it's hard for me to get my kids in, um, into good schools. She was like, how is your Jesus 
in the culture that you're coming from, she's like, you're coming from Princeton. So how is your God going to benefit me here in Trenton? Yeah. She was like, I need, and she said to me, she was like, I need a different God. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, well, okay. (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. how do I respond to that? Yeah. How do I respond to that? Because we almost come at Christianity and the gospel with this, like, I'd say Christianity, not the gospel, because the gospel itself is literally one size fit all. And it's powerful. Yeah. But Christianity doesn't work that way. It's not one size fit all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you come in this particular way, in this particular fashion, and if you surrender these things, this Mm -hmm. can work for you. Right. The gospel doesn't preach that. Mm -hmm. You know? And so I remember being in that space and discovering, like, if I want Jesus to be more than a one hit wonder. I can't just be doing Thanksgiving baskets. I need to be there. I need to be there consistently. And as they see the image of God in me, greet the image of God in them, their image will begin to shift of who he is. But they need to see me as somebody who cares on a day-to-day basis. And that will shift their image of God. Yeah, yeah. That's so powerful. Because when you were talking, you reminded me of... um, uh, these, you reminded me of like growing up. Now I grew up, um, in, as a Seventh-day Adventist in the church. And one of the things that always tripped me out was that it was always okay to sing country gospel music, like during divine hour, right? Like they could always sing country gospel, but anybody came in with like an American gospel song or, you know, and even for me, I'll be like a hip hop song. It was like, it was like, it was, it was sinful. And these are black people, right? These are black Caribbean people. And they're saying like, no, uh, hip hop is of the devil. And you can't use that art form to express any love or passion to Jesus. But we can use country music to do that. And I'm like, what is the difference? I said, you know, the reality is country music was probably the music they sang when they lynched the black people. You know, it's, it's, it's music about a pride in a country that has not been very kind to African-Americans, to immigrants, or to anybody other than whites. Mm -hmm. And that, as I see, as I'm thinking about it, is part of that colonizing mindset that because it seems like anything that's inherently Black or Caribbean is evil. Mm -hmm. So Haiti is evil because the narrative is Haiti is involved in voodoo and spiritualism and there's nothing good. So you must assimilate, become like us. Mm-hmm. You can still keep your foods because after all, you know, we, we like your food, but <laughs> anything that is <laughs> anything that's culturally um, akin to Haiti is evil. And much like most of the West Indies and much like America, like I remember that to this day, there are still churches that are arguing about drums in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And drums are particularly akin to African Americans, but it's like any or black people to Africans. Not let me just say African American to Africans. And anything black mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. whack, and everything white is right. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's like that's really profound because I just started like having all these thoughts as you were talking about culture and. Um, and how it defines it. Because one of the things I know that's always been said is Christ is above culture. So you have to leave your culture behind and follow him. No, Christ is culture, you know, like Christ is culture, mm-hmm. you know, and he cares about, he cares about where we're from. You know what I mean? I don't think God 
Okay, Christ came not to change our context, but to be a part of our context. Mm-hmm. You know? Like yeah. he didn't come to be like, oh, you know, I, I'm going to change everything that contextually surrounds you. No, he came to be one of us so mm-hmm. he can understand who we are and how we live. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't, he, he didn't come in and say like, well, we're, we're not going to call this place Nazareth anymore. Like we're going to, we're just going to call it Jerusalem because wherever I am, like that's where, no, that's not what he came to do. You know, mm-hmm. um, he, he grew up in the hood and I believe right. he grew up in the hood for a reason, mm-hmm. you know? And so being in places like Trent, I remember when this one kid said, he said, what's this thing about, he, I heard this thing about truth about hip hop. What's that about? <laughs> I remember just being like, oh no. Right. No. Because <laughs> right. at the end of the day, Jamie, like I did, I did a, I did a short course, um, here at Andrews, um, for Black History Month, I'm, I was co-chair this past year. And so I, I was like, let's, let's do Afrofuturism. Like, we just got it. This is, we have to do, we got to teach the people about Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. And so the first short course was, um, I titled it, How to Pimp a Butterfly, Afrofuturism 101. Yeah. And we looked at, the beginning of class, we looked at the work of Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a phenomenal, I mean, he's, a, as, as Nipsey would say, prolific, right? That's um, right. That's <laughs> and, right. I appreciated so much the time we took to um, look at his body of work. But there are many people who had a problem with that. So how can you be looking at this body of work and even call it like art? This isn't isn't art. I'm thinking to myself, like, how can you look at, even if you were to strip the music away, if you just look at this lyrically, this is deeply profound. And he's speaking to a social justice issue. So in many ways, he's speaking to a gospel issue in a different way than you and I might, but he's still perpetuating the image of God to those he needs to see it by speaking these words. Yeah. yeah. Like, why am I turning my back on someone who's seeking to, to speak gospel to others in a different form? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's like, you know, this, this is the problem is that, so people have a problem with Kendrick Lamar. If they knew David, they'd have a problem with David as well. Because David, David had some violent tracks. Like when you read some of those psalms, you know, we tend to skip those psalms Mm -hmm. that David wrote. David Mm -hmm. wrote some psalms like, yo, I'm going to, um, I want God to pull out their teeth and smash their babies and stuff like that. Let's go with that. (laughs) That's right. And so it's like, you know, so it's like, oh, Kendrick is this evil uh, person who cannot be used by God. But I think like what you said, you can't ignore his body of work because he's speaking to a culture, to a people whom we never address or whom we never even get close to. But, um, but it's okay to talk about some other artists or other people that we might revere or we love closely, Celine Dion or whatever, something like that, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it's safe. And that's and that's that's it, right? It's mm-hmm. like we try to be so safe and being and that's what we've done with Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And that and this is what Eurocentric Christianity does to destroy mm-hmm. culture. It mm-hmm. creates silos that are safe. Yeah. And Jesus was not safe. Absolutely. He was not I mean, who if someone walked up into your your church, your synagogue and started flipping tables. Right. Call the police because they're not safe. Right. That's right. That's right. Or if they, uh, 
if they uh, if if they walk in front of your church, your brand new church, and be like, "Yo, I'm gonna destroy this building," <laughs> like I'm about to, you know. First of all, if Jesus did that today, they would be calling, um, you know, federal agents and say he's a terrorist. Yeah. He he is a terrorist. He's and he's saying going. in three days he's about to raise it up too. That's right. That's Crazy. right. You know, but. I mean, you look, you look at the gospel and you see somebody who would be deemed in today's time unsafe. Mm-hmm. Why? Why was he unsafe? Because he was seeking to shift the margins, Jamie. Yeah. And that's what we've been called to do. Yeah. But we're stuck in a space where we're genuinely afraid to go against what, what, we're, what we've been told we must do. So we have, we have girls um, and, and men, men and women in the seminary, I mean, on a regular basis. And I, I say, so like, what's God calling you to do? Yeah. And they tell me of these dreams and visions. And I think to myself, well, what are you doing here? Yeah. Because you can still serve the body of Christ without yeah. having to be in this space. Yeah. If you're miserable. You're unhappy. You know what I mean? I'm just like, so... So like, what are you doing? And I'm not saying like leave seminary, but if God's calling you to be in a distinct space to serve as people for such a time as this, we can't be afraid to step outside of the box. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Um, And what you said is so true in comparison to Jesus and and comparing the the seminary or seminaries in general, not just Mm -hmm. Adventist seminaries, and I'm just going to speak to what I know. It feels like the seminary that I went to, Andrews, was just creating me to be safe and to protect the institution, mm-hmm. to make sure the institution stays alive and it keeps on running and to keep the cycle of money flowing in, the cycle of people going in. But yet still there is a disconnect because the people that I'm ministering to are being affected by policies and laws that is threatening their quality of life. But no, don't don't get political. Don't go down to City Hall. Just mm-hmm. make sure you keep on preaching the gospel, pie in the sky theology. And what you said is so true is that Jesus was not safe. Jesus was counterculture. Jesus was an enemy of the state because mm-hmm. he loved people more than he loved institutions. Mm-hmm. And I'm and so dangerous and that's dangerous. And, you know, and not only is that dangerous, but it, it causes you to lose friends, family, and, you know, you get blackballed, you get ostracized. So, so what, what, what needs to really be asked is how counterculture are you willing to be for the sake of the kingdom? Because everything we read about Jesus was very, very counterculture, but the colonizing Christ that you brought up is very safe is very, uh, you know, uh, apolitical, and he just keeps on doing things. But, but, um, but to throw this out there, this is the thing. Christ has to be very safe for the marginalized. Almost certainly. Who have power, Christ is not safe. And no. what do I mean by that is when we think back 10 years ago, when George Bush wanted to go fight the war in Iraq, he stood up and said, God told me to go do this war. So God is not safe for them. And you can see how when, whenever um, it comes to anything, even with these evangelicals that, um, and that push Trump into office and who say Trump is God's person, 
Trump is not safe. He's very no. dangerous. No. But God can be dangerous for their special interest mm-hmm. and for what they want. But for when minorities say, hey, uh, the Bible that I read shows that God stands up for the oppressed and he fought against his oppressors. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 no. Turn the other cheek. Keep yeah. them going the way they go. You know, yeah, be safe. Yeah. 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 In, in so many ways, again, and we differentiate gospel from Christianity, right, in this conversation, you see that Christianity and, and um, Albert J. Rubidoux says it well. He, I, almost, I, would, I wish I had it in front of me. I'd read it. But he basically states that Christianity is fitted for slave culture. Mm-hmm. Because what it perpetuates is this kind of afterlife space. So everything you're doing now isn't really relevant to the space that you're inhabiting and the context and the culture you're part of now. It's all about the culture after. Mm-hmm. So if you do what you feel is right right now and what you believe God is telling you to do, like you'll see his face one day and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. So it, wow. it, Christianity just literally, it just perpetuates this Eurocentric mentality of Christ perpetuates slave mentality because we're not living in the context and in the space that like right now, we're just thinking about heaven later on. Yeah. So if I'm mean to you, that's because that's, that's what I felt needed to be done. Yeah. Like God's entrusted me with this power and I'm just using it to the best of my ability. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no grace in that, Jamie. Right. Like Eurocentric Christianity is void of grace completely. Yeah. 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 But the gospel tells me that if the spirit of the Lord is upon me, that I will care for the oppressed, that mm-hmm. I will care for the imprisoned, that I will, you know, like I will set at liberty the captives. Like mm-hmm. this is the call of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I can easily step away from that if I feel empowered. Yeah. That's right. right. And when you look at the Bible, if you look at the word of God through the lens of power, Mm -hmm. you see that what Christ is continually doing through those, through the gospels is he's laying down his power. Yeah. See it Time and time again, you see Christ laying down his power. You see it happen. I think for me, most, most clearly in the story that spoke speaks to me um, so profoundly is the woman with the issue of blood. Mm-hmm. how he stopped everything to recognize a woman who had otherwise not been recognized. Yeah. He stopped everything to recognize her. Mm-hmm. He laid down his power. Everyone was reckon- Everyone was trying to touch him and be around him. He didn't recognize their touch. He recognized the touch of the person who needed him. He mm-hmm. laid down his power. He laid down the calls of everyone else who wanted to have a conference call and meeting with him mm-hmm. to recognize her. Mm-hmm. And that's what the gospel calls us to do. Mm-hmm. It calls us to step out of the space that we feel in our power we need to inhabit mm-hmm. and recognize those who need to be recognized most. Yeah. We're called to lay down any power we have for the sake of others. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and also, too, it's about how do you use your privilege to help those who don't have privilege? Hey, thank you for listening to part one of our two-part series on the topic of the colonization of Jesus Christ. Please remember to share the podcast, like the podcast, leave a review, and to let everybody know about the great discussions that we've been having. 
If you're looking for more information in regards to the opening track, that was done by Jeffrey F. Monesty, and you can get in contact with him at J-M-O-N-E-S-T-I-M-E-M-U-S-I-C at gmail.com. Have a great day. Bye-bye.